get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. How's everybody doing? This is the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and Michael Weir. We're having some good conversations going on today, but first I want to touch on this Russia uh, um, back and forth with Facebook. Uh, as many of you have probably already heard, this is not breaking news, but I think it's fairly interesting news. Russia, we find out, was posing as Americans on Facebook and other uh, social media platforms last year as part of a highly coordinated fake news campaign connected to the Internet Research Agency, which is a Kremlin-linked company spreading propaganda. It got so bad and Congress found out about it that Facebook was, through pressure from Congress and others, forced to turn over uh, more than 3,000 advertisements from this company. Uh, one of the accounts that Russia was actually running and acting like it was an American account was called Blacktivist, which I think is uh, a short for Black Activist. And, and this particular page on Facebook actually had more followers than the Black Lives Matter page did, and it was fake. Um, I know as far as uh, things go for me, I saw Blacktivist in 2016 over and over again. I had a lot of friends and others who quite often, uh, you know, uh, shared the memes and other things of this account, not knowing <laughs> that it was a fake account and that some of the things coming from it were indeed fake news. Uh, we learned that the purpose of this campaign was to sow discord. Now, let's be honest. We know that this isn't the only reason that there's been discord and a toxic um a, a, a toxic uh, discourse in America. But I think, if anything, it does show that uh, Russia succeeded in uh, adding to the chaos. So the question I want to start off with and I want everybody listening to us today to think about is what does this campaign and the success thereof say about us? I have a couple of things I think it says, and then I'll kind of pass the mic uh, to my man, Michael Weir. But for one, Michael, I think it number one says that we are somewhat excitable uh, and maybe even easily provoked. Um, that's never good. Something else is there may be a kind of gullibility there. Uh, one of the fads that I've seen on social media is that if we see something or people I know see something that fits their narrative, we tend to just run with it. it help, if it helps the narrative, why not use it? Why not spread it around, whether it is accurate or not, and not always doing our due diligence to see if it is accurate. And number three, I think this says that we've become somewhat predictable. Uh, if Russia can say, well, I think they're going to react this way if we put certain information out and be right, then it sounds like we may be having a Pavlog dog response to provocation. Uh, and at that point, then your enemy is actually controlling you. Uh, Michael Weir, what do you think, brother? 
Well, I I think you're right. I mean, what what they say, you know, about about the devil, you know, the the, the devil's a liar, but also sometimes the devil will, will start with a kernel of truth and and uh and and use it for his own ends. Uh and uh, you know, I think what you said about us being excitable, what you said about, you know, the Russians uh uh and others clearly view uh, these cleavages uh, in American society is something that they could use for their benefit, which is not to say that, uh, you know, these disagreements don't exist, that there isn't, uh, there isn't, uh, uh, it, it's not the shut down conversations, but, uh, you know, like we talk about, it's important to bring a degree of skepticism, a degree of, um, of caution. Um, uh, uh, to just politics in general, uh, and it's social media doesn't doesn't make that doesn't make that easy. Uh, I, I've retweeted things. Actually, just this week we had a a case where um, I, I retweeted something from a um, or I shared something from what seemed to be a a, a reputable news source that had quotes had uh, uh, had had you know had a first hand knowledge but it was just twisted just enough that it that it wasn't uh wasn't giving the full story um and so yeah i mean this uh, this isn't going to end uh, i i think we can we can look to uh, uh you know the midterms in 2020 um we'll see russia and other actors including china um how how they try to uh, expose and inflame some of these some of these tensions what i think the american people have to ask is um you know are, are we are we okay with that um is there uh is there anything that binds us um that that would um uh, that would cause us to um uh, you know resist some of these uh, some of these, some of these ploys, and some of these uh, provocations, um, and frankly, Justin, I, I'm just not sure. I mean, uh, I'm not sure that if you, um, I'm not sure that if you asked, if you got an honest answer from people, that there weren't a lot of people who um, would say, yeah, I mean, the fake news is bad, but you know, if 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 the Russians you know, helped us have these conversations that we needed to have, then, you know, you know, uh, then, then so be it. Um, and it, that, that's a real, um, you know, that, that, that's a real issue for, for social cohesion. And it's a real issue for, you know, how, how our country is going to, going to function in, in the coming months and years. Yeah, I think that's right. And one thing I would say, I don't know if there's any foolproof plan that can prevent you from ever, uh, sharing something that might not be completely true because there's a lot of spin going around even without Russia being a part of the conversation. But one thing that I have found can never be underestimated is due diligence, uh, doing your homework, looking into matters before you speak on them. Uh, I think that's the best way to go about it. You know, the AND campaign to some extent has even been criticized for not responding fast enough. And for those wondering why we don't give an immediate response to certain things, it's because usually we're behind the scenes doing our due diligence making sure we understand what really happened. But not only that, making sure we understand how our response and everything else fits into our overall strategy, 
But more importantly, how we respond, does it fit into our biblical worldview? And I think that's one thing that we often miss. We have to make sure as Christians that we do not allow others to frame the issue. And too often on a variety of issues where uh, ground has been lost, if you want to put it that way, on cultural matters, it is partially because we have either framed it wrong or we've allowed others to frame it. We have to remember that the 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 framing of these issues and on our part has to be framed through an understanding of the common good. But uh, ultimately, through our biblical worldview, because if you if a question is is framed wrong, then your answer is inevitably going to be wrong. Lastly, I would say the 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 idea that we need to respond to everything is, is flatly wrong. Right. Uh, if you look at the civil rights movement, they did not respond to everything. They responded in a way that was strategic and they responded to things that they could uh, talk about in a constructive manner. I would also lean on first Peter uh, three, nine, where it talks about uh, do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. And I think that's a good place for Christians to begin. Yeah. And, and just it's um, and it's interesting. I was involved in a conversation this week about this very issue, which is, you know, to say, you know, just because an issue is important doesn't mean you have to speak on it. And uh, j just because you don't speak on an issue doesn't mean uh, it's not important. I, I think we we have a uh, we have a social media culture right now that um, really demands of people that they pretend to be an expert when they're not. <laughs> um, and that's not productive. Uh, I mean, um, I'll say also in the church, we have this, um, you know, and I do think that there are times where it's appropriate. I do think that there are times when there's there, you know, it's reasonable to have an expectation. For instance, I think it's reasonable to have an ex expectation, you know, after uh, uh, the shooting in Charleston uh, that, uh, that happened in a church that that were brothers and sisters in Christ getting getting shot. I think there's it's it's reasonable to have an expectation that uh, at Sunday services the following weekend that that's going to come up in some way. But I want to give a caution to uh, especially Christians listening. Um, you we can't just lay at the burden of the pastor to be political spokespeople on whatever happened. That week, uh, during the healthcare debate, there were people saying, "If if my pastor doesn't speak on the motion to proceed vote, so not even the not even the vote to uh, uh, on the bill itself, but if my pastor doesn't speak on the motion to proceed vote, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the church." And even this week, you know, to move to our next topic, but I think it's connected. You know, we we saw a, a great tragedy in in Las Vegas, and the you know. It, uh, you know, it, I, you know, I, people say, you know, we shouldn't be shocked anymore. I, I don't, I don't know if we should make our hearts so callous to not be shocked that someone could look into a crowd of thousands and just see, just see targets, just see, um, just see, um, see, see victims and not see human beings. Um, and, and, and I was shocked to see it. Um, and, uh, you, you know, uh, let me, there, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, j jump in. Yeah. No, you made a comment. I just want to ask you a follow-up question. You said, you know, there's a, there's almost pressure to, to act like you're an expert on every issue. So yeah. the question I was at would ask is, are you telling me that being woke doesn't make you an instant expert on every single issue? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's sort of how it's how the language has become as like a like a badge of um you know that it's your badge of entry when you know some of the most woke people I know are those that um are cautious when they speak because because they've been woke to how weighty and how complicated these issues are <laughs> when it seems right. like you know right now we use woke as Oh, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak out every chance I get, and I'm not gonna let anybody off the hook. And the most woke people I know are those filled with the most uh, uh, grace uh, and conviction because they, because they know how serious and complicated the history of issues like, uh, well, all the issues we talk about on this show are. And so, yeah, Justin, it's uh, we need to, I think, uh, really, really revisit exactly uh you know w what that means and, and what should what we should con consider sort of effective advocacy and you know i, I was just going to say you know on the on the gun control issue you know i'm someone who sees you know a clear move in scripture towards uh, nonviolence, um towards uh, you know a, a respect for the human person and i think you know generally uh, you know some of uh uh, you know, uh, uh, assault weapons um, uh, t tend to uh, tend to undermine that. But I'll also be I, I don't know much about guns. I'm from the Northeast. I didn't grow up in a gun culture. And, um, you know, people are talking about bump stop bump stocks this week. Uh, I'll be honest, never heard of what a bump stock was until this week. I just I just don't know what a bump stock is. I still don't know what a bump stock is. And, you know, I get the feeling that a lot of the people who were, you know, calling for legislation and calling for pastors to speak out on this stuff didn't know much about bump stocks or a lot of the other gun control measures being called for, which isn't a condemnation of anybody. Uh, it's just to say, hey, let's not let's make sure we're not calling on pastors to speak up on issues where they don't know what they're talking about, because that's going to lead to a lot of cynicism in church leadership. Um, yeah, and, and, I and think, then too, let's just you know, be careful about what 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 we're saying ourselves, and, and make sure we're not drawing sort of moral lines um, that that just uh, that 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 we shouldn't be drawing sort of harsh moral lines around. Yeah, and and to add to what you were saying, um, you know, an immediate reaction where you're expecting a, a serious critique or analysis of something that just happened, I think. In, in many cases, it's just asking too much and, and, and really pushing someone in a position they may not be comfortable with and not be not have a comment that is productive. But I will say this, you know, I just said that the end campaign doesn't always respond immediately. That doesn't mean that I have a issue with you responding uh, with compassion or showing compassion immediately. Right. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that to say, well, I do know that, you know, so many people died, 50 or so people died right. and right. I have compassion for that. Great. That immediate response is good. But the, the the depth of analysis and coming to conclusions before you have all the you know have all all the answers or even part of the answers I think is a bit much. Yeah, and you you had this really uh, you 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 had this tweet that you know was part of what sort of had me thinking about this this week. Uh, you, you just shared you, you said on Twitter, Jay Gibney fourteen. Uh, we have very few facts regarding Las Vegas, but people have already started posturing to protect their tribe and narrative or attack others. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what we're seeing. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's it's um, I don't think 
it's it's very productive and i think we need to be we need to be really really careful on that absolutely and that's that's one of the reasons that i read ephesians 4 uh 14 through 15 because he's paul is telling the church of ephesus that if you are a mature christian then you don't have to respond to every teaching and uh, every trick that someone is putting up, you know where you stand. You have a basis within your worldview and you're confident within that basis. And so you can speak the truth in love. And so when we come into these conversations where one political party or the other or one ideology or the other really want to get a response out of us, sometimes we don't. you don't have to give them that response. Sometimes you just sit back, make sure you understand the issue so that you can respond with truth and love, uh, not one or the other. Yeah. So, so Justin, let's, let's move on, you know, Friday, which, you know, Friday is like the day, uh, to, it seems to release religious freedom news, uh, uh, and the Trump administration had quite a bit of it. And, you know, uh, going on our last conversation, frankly, uh, you know, uh, uh, those who, who watch the space closely and just not, uh, Justin and I are, are two of them, but you know, lawyers are digging through uh, all of this this weekend. And so we'll we'll continue to keep you updated. But it's important enough to discuss um, to discuss now. Um, basically, the rundown is two things. Um, the Trump administration, through the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, released long awaited uh, adjustments to the, uh, how the HHS contraception mandate would be implemented. Um, as a reminder, uh, the Affordable Care Act includes uh, uh, a provision where preventive services are covered um, without, um, uh, uh, where preventive services are covered. Um, the, uh, it was decided that contraception is a preventive service. And so uh, without copay, uh, contraception had to be covered through all employer-based insurance plans. Now that that was a problem for uh, particularly uh, religious uh, organizations that provide health insurance to their um, to their employees um, that oppose contraception. And so uh, there uh, you know it's been a live legal debate for the last eight years that's been to the Supreme Court that's included. Uh, a dozen plus adjustments during the Obama administration to this rule. And now with the Trump administration in place, um, <clears throat> there was a long awaited expectation um, that, that they would um, do more to protect uh, religious organizations and moral objectors that were not protected in the Obama administration. Um, and, and they acted, they acted on Friday. Now we're going to have to see how this is implemented, but, but basically um, the the HHS is going to give wide deference to employ, em, employers who, for a religious or moral reason, object to providing um, uh, contraception through their insurance plan. Um, and, uh, and so uh, we'll we'll have to see uh, if um, there will be. Uh, other ways to work with the insurer, like during the Obama administration, where employees can get this contraception coverage, just their employer isn't involved. Um, and then we'll we'll also have to see um, how broadly <laughs> the Department of Health and Human Services um, uh, considers moral objection. But it is widely assumed that this will bring even more court cases. My basic read, my initial read is that 
the, the Trump administration, um, while I'm glad that uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor and other religious organizations will be covered, I think it's too broad um, to offer blanket protection to anyone with any moral or moral uh, uh, objection, regardless of the nature of the organization they run. But, um, uh, you know, this will now go to the courts. And then, you know, quickly, uh, the DOJ released, uh, the, the Department of Justice released religious freedom guidance uh, to all uh, agencies, basically across the government. Um, and, and this is actually, I think, better news. Um, uh, or, or I, I guess it's um, it's more uh, comprehensively uh, positive from my point of view, where they reaffirmed key principles like um, like ensuring a religious freedom restoration act analysis is articulated in the process of all future regulations. So they they uh, reaffirm the religious freedom restoration act, which is powerful and. There are there are 19 other principles, including that one. But but basically, the Department of Justice has sent a message to the federal government um, that religious freedom can't be and shouldn't be overlooked um, and shouldn't be discounted um, as it goes about its business. Um, that I'll just finally say now, now how that breaks down in the particulars is going to be very important. And, you know, with this Department of Justice, I don't. Um, uh, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm not willing to give Jeff Sessions the the benefit of the of the doubt too too often. But uh, based on what they've what they've released, so much of that's in this DOJ memo is um, is needed and necessary. And a lot of folks have been uh, waiting for it for for legitimate reasons. Uh, and so, you know, this was this was a positive thing from. Uh, the perspective of of many religious freedom act, uh, advocates. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I'll start by saying um, I had a great deal of respect um, for obviously for President Obama uh, for his administration. Um, and in fact, I've talked about this before. You know, on in 2012, the week the weekend before the election, me and my fiance, who was you know, my fiance at the time, we were in Jacksonville. We drove down to Jacksonville, Florida, and we were knocking on doors. Yeah. Um, going door to door, spreading the word, trying to get people to vote uh, for Barack Obama. So I have a little bit, not a whole lot. I got a little bit of a sweat e equity into what went on there. Uh, but I'll say this. I, I think when it comes to some of the things that happen with health and human services and when it comes to some of the things that happen relig with religious liberty, I think that administration got some things wrong. Um, and so I do welcome you know, a new view or a new way of going about the religious freedom conversation. I think I, I agree with you, um, Michael, the uh, HHS uh, conversation. I think it's too broad. You have to watch language and you don't I, I don't think you help your conversation. You help your argument when you make something overly broad, especially in the uh, the legal process. And when it's going to the courts, I think they did expand it a little too much. And I don't know that that was the right, right way to go about it. But we did need to go over that conversation and review uh, what the, the administration beforehand had, had put down. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully you, the courts get it right. I don't always like the courts being the final uh, decider of every issue. Yeah. Right. Um, Cause it gets to the point where you think it feels like they're almost legislating, yeah. but I, but that's where it's going to go. And I hope that they end up getting it right. We need to get religious freedom and all these different mandates, right. Uh, because people with values and women and others 
they depend on these things uh, for their for their well-being. So I, we should all pray that it's that it's done right, not necessarily that it's done in a way that is of the biggest benefit to us and uh, the people around us or our church, yeah. but that it is something where we can find common ground and get as close as possible to to something that benefits everyone. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you said it, which is, you know, the 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 pendulum swings here are not helpful for stability for the organizations that have to operate under these circumstances. It's not healthy for uh, for uh, religious people of of any religious background who um, who feel like um, who feel like uh, their their uh, their 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 liberty is uh, dependent on who wins uh, each presidential election, and it's just not healthy for our politics. I think for um, for for each election to determine uh, such such broad swings in this in this area, and so um, I, I do hope that uh, this this action from the Trump administration uh, and frankly the past decade of you know, really bitter fights that we've had around religious freedom um, will will prompt Congress to um, to reassert reassert um, where where it stands on religious freedom and and, and really work towards establishing a new 21st century consensus uh, so so that religious freedom is no longer a political football that goes back and forth between the parties. That's not that's not good for anybody. I agree. And, and I think we see here, too, where some of the other things that uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has done, uh, some of his rhetoric, uh, some of the ways that he's been disrespectful to others actually hurts the religious liberty cause. Yes. Right. Because sometimes even when you get it right, uh, when when you when your history has been stained or when you've had a checkered past in regard to people of color and others, you actually hurt. Uh, your call. Yeah. You may hurt something that is actually good. I'm not one of those people. And I had this conversation with one of my uh, younger friends uh, probably a couple of weeks ago. I'm not one of those people that thinks that because I don't like a certain politician or someone that's um, been appointed that everything they do is right. wrong. And I, right. you know, I, tried, I had to try. To, I told him that you may not like this person's policies in general, but each of their policies and each of their decisions need to be judged on its own merit. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pay attention to the past history. But you have to be able to separate those things or else you, you get into a situation where you're just rejecting things without even paying attention to what's been brought to you. So we have to keep that in mind, too. But I think it's good for Christians to understand how we conduct ourselves outside of the causes and outside of the things we care about is going to affect our credibility when it comes to things that we really do care about. Yeah. So I think the last thing we want to talk about, Justin, is uh, this New York Times uh reporting on Harvey Weinstein, who uh, the, the, the headline is Harvey Weinstein paid off sexual harassment accusers for decades. Now, Harvey Weinstein is a major figure in Hollywood. He's also a major figure uh, in democratic politics. And so this took on a, uh, a, a really political uh, a lot of people were viewing this through a political lens very quickly, um, but, but I really don't want to. For me, the, the the politics is secondary. Uh, primarily, this is a man who had a lot of power, who um, held out explicitly his ability to grant 
young women in particular, their dreams and their future. And he used that power um, to manipulate them, um, to uh, to implicate them. And, uh, you know, from, from what these reports um, read, sexually harass um, and, and, and abuse them. Um, so I, I don't know if we want to get too deep into into the details here i would encourage um i, I know that th these kinds of conversations hit people in different ways if, if you're someone who you know is able to um or wants to learn more you, you could look up the new york times story but um uh, he suffice to say he uh, asked uh, women to put themselves in uh in positions where they're integrity was compromised uh, uh, in a way that he could assert his his power. And, and it's, um, you, you know, it, it tells a tells a significant story of what people with power feel they're entitled to sometimes. Um, and, and it's it's been a um, it, it, it's been a it, this this story has, sh has shaken me this week. I've been um, uh, Rebecca Traster is a uh, uh, journalists I've I've known and followed for a long time, um, and she wrote a report I believe back in 2000 or maybe it was 1999, but it was it was definitely you know more than a decade ago. She was reporting had attended something at Harvey Weinstein's uh, a fundraiser at Harvey Weinstein's uh, 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 home uh, I believe, and she asked him a question, um, and he didn't like the question and. Um, uh, called her, um, let's let's just say female specific curse words, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and threw her boyfriend out of his house. So so this is J Justin. What's got me is that uh, to hear all of these people say after decades of Harvey Weinstein donating to Democratic po politicians, uh, being lifted up, his movies have have been screened at the White House. All of this stuff um, to 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 hear people say, oh, this was an open secret. You know, I'm glad the stories finally come out. Um, uh, man, I don't know what else, what else to say. Uh, it, 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 this whole thing has just had me, had me, had me uh, uh, upset this week. Yeah, we should all be upset. Uh, I've heard it said, and I can't remember who, who, where the quote, quote comes from, but I've heard it said that as men, we can either be protectors or we can be predators. And uh, Harvey Weinstein, who is a very popular Hollywood producer, he you know produced films like Gangs of New York, Shakespeare in Love, and the list goes on and on and on. A very talented and powerful man chose to be a predator. He chose to take advantage of those uh, who he had some authority over, at least those who looked to him for uh, some type of opportunities. And I think we all uh, need to be very weary of ever take, taking advantage of things like that, whether it involves sexual harassment or anything else. Uh, we have to make sure that we treat people fairly and that we do not uh, lord over people in a way that is um, uh, that is is negative. And he didn't do that. Uh, this whole episode kind of reminds me, and you may have read this yourself, of an article that Ross Douthit recently wrote about Hugh Hefner. Uh, as we know that uh, Hugh Hefner recently died and Ross Douthit uh, did had a had a piece in the New York Times yes. called Speaking yes. Ill of Hugh Hefner. And he, here's a quote uh, from, from that piece. He said, 
Hef was the grinning pimp of the sexual revolution, with quaaludes for the ladies and Viagra for himself, a father of smut addictions and eating disorders, abortion and divorce and syphilis, and pretentious hucksters who published Updike stories no one read while doing flesh procurement for celebrities, a, a revolutionary whose revolution chiefly benefited men much like himself. Yeah. And I think when when you have power and when you have money, sometimes it is easy to fall into this. One of the, the sad things that I saw right after Hugh Hefner died, I even saw some Christians um, and not that you have to speak ill of the man. You don't have to. But I saw some some people kind of uh, uh, glorifying some of the things that he had done. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we have created a culture and it's not on any one person. We know that we're dealing with principalities and spirits, but there has a, been a culture that's been created where it is OK to take these advantages. Yeah. Uh, we have some people justifying, you know, sex work and we want to be fair to any type of worker. But it's not something that we necessarily want to incentivize. Right. And so we have to make a decision as men whether we are going to be protectors and predators. It's one of the things that I teach my sons all the time. And sometimes it's a fine line. Yeah. And sometimes people don't necessarily know better. But we have to be very thoughtful and deliberate in how we uh, interact in these situations. Yeah. And, you know, Justin, maybe it takes us to the beginning of our conversation um, because, you know, Harvey Weinstein released a, a statement um, it, it included a number of problematic things, including assertions that, uh, you know, he grew up in an era where uh, things were different, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, seeming justification. You know, so, someone said, I think Jake Tapper tweeted, you know, amazingly, you know, uh, there were a lot of dads who had jobs and did not abuse women at those jobs. Uh, and so, you know, so so that sort of, uh, obfuscation of of blame was significant, but then he did something very interesting at the end of that letter, which he said, uh, "You know, I'm now going to focus my time on <laughs> taking down the NRA. This is really where uh, I'm going to focus." And, and and the message was transparent and clear, which was the same message that Donald Trump gave in the wake of Access Hollywood, which was, uh, "Look." Um, yeah, this stuff is, uh, you know, that I've done personally is unseemly, um, but I'm on your side politically, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, we're, we're on the same team. Uh, I'm going to take out your political enemies for you. Uh, and so can't we really just, just, uh, put this to the side and, and put politics first? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was actually glad to see, um, which doesn't surprise me because I, I actually really like Chris Hayes, but Chris Hayes and, and other, you know, Democratic leaning folks said, uh, caught it, you know, caught it and pointed out right away. And Chris Hayes said, you know, I hope people will not fall for this uh, sort of bait and switch technique. But but it does show that, you know, this is a man who has, uh, you know, earned millions and millions of dollars uh uh in cultural entertainment and that he that he thinks that he could sort of uh use politics in such a crass way maybe tells us more about you know ourselves and our politics than than we want to we want to acknowledge i think you're right 
there's a reason that he thought he could get away with that. And I, and I, I honest, honestly believe that if it wasn't so obvious and blatant that he very well might have, because what the people who wrote those statements for him know is that when it comes to politics and how divided we are, people are going to choose sides. And often they're going to choose their ideological or partisan side over whatever the facts say. And that's why he thought he could get away with it. And so in some ways, that is an indictment on us. And I think you are excellent in connecting that uh, and making that point. He thought he could get away with this. This was someone who gave, I think, uh, $1.4 million to the Democratic Party within the last decade or so. He was very involved in, in what all that was going on. And he thought that maybe there was a chance that they were there could be an out because he was fighting a good cause. Right. He was right. fighting against people that were clearly worse than anything that he had done. And you saw the same with with the way people talked about Hugh Hefner. It was, well, he did fight for progressive right. causes, but he caused a lot of issues himself. And so we, we have to look at the full package. But that is so interesting and so telling that. He thought there was a chance with all this, these things that happened over decades that he might have somewhat of an out by saying, hey, I'm with you. I fight for the right, right causes. If you take me out, you're going to hurt your call. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's significant. And, uh, you know, I, I again, I, I was uh, I, I was now again, like folks allowed, you know, again, it's it's striking that. uh now folks are saying this is an open open story that that a whole bunch of people knew this and i think there's uh so i don't want to pat people on the back too hard for you know piling on him now that you know the new york times had the courage to to run this story although again on the new york times you know the um uh the fact that it was an open story suggests maybe uh if people had been incentivized differently that this story would have come out years earlier but but I do want right. now that the story's out, um, we have seen uh, people like Rebecca Traster, people like Chris Hayes, the MSNBC, um, uh, speak you know boldly and and you know straightforwardly about uh, about uh, about this without sort of making excuses because you know he he shares uh, uh, or pretends to share um, you know some some political convictions. But but you know I I actually pause when I say that right because and this is a good example so the the Democratic National Committee apparently received I believe thirty thousand dollars from Weinstein this this year um, and their decision which Jonathan Martin of the New York Times uh, you pointed out was 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 uh, about the worst possible way you could go about it their decision was to yes we're going to give Weinstein's money away. But we're going to give it to Emily's List and several other organizations that are basically the Democratic Party, uh, you know, in in waiting. Um, and and so, you, you know, I, I think we need to be clear here that, uh, you, you know, I, did, to what extent did he believe in these political convictions if he was harassing and sexually abusing women um, while he was giving money to USC women's film uh, uh, programs and uh, and Emily's List in the Democratic Party. And this sort of like excusing like, yeah, he had a personal life, but um, man, his political donations were on point. Um, j just again, just show something deeply rotten at the core of uh, how we view 
um, politics and its role in, in society in general. I agree. That decision by the Democratic National Con uh, Committee was embarrassing. It, point blank. It was embarrassing. You you take the money from the party and you give it and you give it to basically extensions <laughs> of the party. <laughs> That's not to say that these organizations don't do anything good. It's not an indictment on them, but you give that money back, <laughs> period. You don't spread it around or distribute it in a different way because you were going to give those organizations money anyway. You give it back to him because you don't want to have anything to do with that money. And uh, the DNC failed to do that. Um, they should be embarrassed and they should reconsider uh, how they go about these issues. But one thing that it also shows, I think from a progressive side, I was convicted a little bit. Sometimes we get into the situation where we really start to believe that uh, these sexual assaults and all this other stuff just happens on the right. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So many of the negative things that we say are just happening on one side or the other are happening on both yeah. sides. Please do not believe the number one mistake I see people who don't know that much about politics or are new in politics is, do is believing that this is a war of, of demons versus mm. angels. And one side is good and the other side is completely bad or that it's e anything even close to that. There is dirty money. There are... um hidden agendas and all these things on both sides, which is why we need to pay attention to what's going on. There is not one side that is perfect. I happen to think and agree more so with the Democratic Party, but I do not give them a pass and never would I believe that uh, everything everyone does on that side is good and everything on the other side yeah, is bad. And you know, there's a way of looking at that, which I think is how many people are looking at politics right now is, you know, to, to look at it and say, well, yeah, I mean, I, because there's no good side, you know, fighting, uh, you know, purely good side fighting a purely bad side, then, then what's the point anyways? Uh, and, you know, politics is just so, such a such a mess. I don't even want to get involved. That That's that, that that's a, an approach that I think some are wrongly taking. But if we could acknowledge that there's bad on both sides and instead say, well, well, that's going to lead me to 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 temper uh uh temper my engagement temper what i'm willing to say about the other side then then that could actually be a very healthy thing for our politics so no longer is uh you know the 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 right the side that um you know doesn't care if uh people get sh uh if 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 people get shot in las vegas and no longer is the uh left the side that you know doesn't care uh uh, you know, about, you know, whatever, you know, whatever issue, you know, and name the issue. Um, but we actually just say we, we limit the uh, emotional ramifications of politics in that way that could be that could be really helpful. But, but we're, we're not there right now, Justin. Yeah. And understanding that both sides are broken should actually motivate you to get involved and to put a better witness into the public square. Yeah. Right. That's what we should use it for. Not to say, well, I'm, it's dirty. I want to stay away from it. To say it's dirty, it's important and of high consequence. I need to be a part of this and really put a, a better witness and a better example out there for people to follow. For sure. Well, uh, I, I think I think that's all I have for for this week. I I, I guess my my last word would just to be to give a shout out to Steve Scalise, the congressman from. Uh, Louisiana, who um, uh, y'all might remember, Scalise was uh, was shot um, uh, 
at the congressional baseball practice um, this past summer. Scalise returned to work, uh, I believe, this week uh, or, or late last week, and it, it was a beautiful thing to see. Uh, uh, members of on both sides of the aisle welcomed him him warmly, and uh, you know. It really was a was a reminder that even though they they may disagree with him on a bunch of political issues, they, they were glad he was he was back and, and and you know thriving and recovered. And so shout out to to Steve Scalise. We're 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 glad that you uh, you're you're back at work. Yeah, God bless him. Uh, for those who are are, are in Atlanta, uh, I want to get everybody ready for October twenty sixth. The Ann campaign is putting on an event called The Church and Race, a tough conversation about discipleship. If you are in the Atlanta area or anywhere near the Atlanta area, you should be there because this isn't going to be an easy conversation, but I think it's going to be a productive conversation where uh, we start to try to uh, see get some common ground within this race issue because we've got a lot of work yeah, to do. for sure. All right, folks, this is The Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. If you don't know, now you know. Have a good week. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.